like a rapid response here just because, uh, you know, we don't have like all the information yet, but we have enough to do this episode about what's going on in Chiapas. And I'm joined by Manuel Rosenthal and John Gibbler. Um, so, yeah, guys, thanks. Um, Man, why don't we just start with you, Manuel, partly because you're um, running on backup generator power and may lose a con- your Internet connection at any time. Uh, this was inspired by uh, a uh, post you guys put up at pueblosencamino.org uh, es el estado arde chiapas en guerra contra el zapatismo so tell us what um why you did this what what's what's this about like what are we talking about what's going on in chiapas which is a state in southern mexico where there's been a rebellion an indigenous rebellion since 1994 uh and a kind of an ongoing uh, what they call low intensity war against the indigenous people in this uh, state since since then ar- arguably uh, and the 500 years previous to then uh, but yeah so can you just uh, can you just give us a, an overview of what is happening at this exact moment as far as we know as far as we know exactly it's not easy to know what's happening it's good to hear your voice and to know John is around, uh, to provide some of the context as we can weave it, probably. What happened, I'll, I'll give it you from my perspective. What I heard last week or a bit longer, about 10 days ago, I heard that the, the paramilitaries were acting in Chiapas, in south, southern Me- Mexico, openly, and they were causing all kinds of trouble everywhere. But apparently that there was also some either new leftist guerrilla activity that nobody had heard of, these guerrillas, but also some guerrilla movements that are well known in Mexico that were also acting in response to a paramilitary offensive in Chiapas. And this was a friend of ours who who gathers this information from the ground as he works with a community called Tila. And Tila is an indigenous community that uh, declared itself autonomous after a very strong struggle. Uh, They were very close to the Zapatistas, but they were not part of the Zapatista movement until recently. And, And now in Tila, apparently the paramilitaries are threatening everybody, but also there's a guerrilla movement within Tila, according to this source, that was also uh, threatening that if the paramilitaries didn't leave, they would take over surrounding territory. And he told us as well that there were some actions taken by paramilitaries that destroyed coffee deposits that indigenous Zapatista communities have in the area. And a, a, a big source of resources, of funding for the Zapatistas is the coffee plantations and the coffee that, the organic coffee that they actually export in fair trade to different places. Then I started looking into this stuff to see what came out. And I'll tell you the first thing that came out and maybe John need, knows about this as well. There wasn't a single uh, a single person in Chiapas, in not even lawyers that work with different communities in the area, that were willing to respond to interviews on the facts on the ground in, in recent days. In fact, we, I was looking for somebody to uh, respond to an interview from uh, La Tribu in Buenos Aires. And a lawyer, well-known, brave man, activist, uh, who has defended one of the uh, most important community cases there, indigenous community cases, there refused to. He says, look, things are awful here. It's too dangerous to open your mouth. Consequences will be terrible. Okay, let let me jump in. So 
Um, yeah. I'm just on one of the sources you cited because I just went to the article on Encamino and one of the uh, Gilberto Lopez y Rivas' Facebook page from four days ago. So it's last Saturday, paramilitaries of the Ocosingo Regional Coffee Growers Association yeah. robbed and set fire to Zapatista support bases in the rebel community of Moises Gandhi in the municipality of Ocosingo. Yeah. Um, the same organization, together with the group Chinchulines and members of the Morena Party in the region, violated and kidnapped members of the Indigenous National Congress yeah. when they carried out actions to commemorate one year of the murder of our com companion Samir Flores Soverin, a soberano, I guess. Um, yeah. And part of an escalation of war in the region, uh, intensification of actions so by paramilitary groups. In summary, what we know is this. This was one of the events. But one, yeah. things that are happening, and there's a photo reporting that I that I shared as well, that this information, this informemonos published, is yeah. that there are actions by... The, the paramilitaries have been let loose. This, okay. this statement is a quote from uh, Luis Hernández Navarro, who wrote a piece for La Jornada in Mexico, where he, he tells the story of the very same event you're talking about. So there's several attacks in several places by paramilitaries leading to significant, if not massive, displacement of Zapatista indigenous communities in the area. And, the and these are from, just to say, these are, it looks to, like these are from uh, basically like land, reco recovered land by these peasants right so it's like um a lot of the pattern in colombia where you are in brazil or all over the places where indigenous people try to get their land back through these um efforts and that's where the paramilitaries well, target yeah, one, there's one big difference I mean, i'm amongst many others but a huge difference from uh, between the zapatistas and the situation here in in brazil this, yeah. The Zapatistas, the Zapatista uprising in January of 1994, led to a massive, massive land recovery by the Zapatista communities. So, yeah. a lot, if not most, of these lands, well, as I understand, where they, they took them back in one move with the Zapatista uprising of 94. Like they, right. they kidnapped a, a, a former army member i can't remember his name john the and the who the landowner the general the general and they sentenced him to hard labor but then they commuted his sentence and let him go no I, I, hard labor. they locked him up in the house and made him think about what he'd done all his life <laughs> no but then they said you know we, we sentence you but we're commuting your sentence and we're letting you go right. I, I think that's, that's the, right that's the so the fear this triggered amongst the landowners were, were offered, let them to flee the whole thing. And then the, the Zapatistas, Mayan communities, recovered those lands and have been working them since. And they have been developing what the world knows about them. So this last August the 22nd, yeah. uh, there's an organization of coffee growers called of Ocosingo called Orcao. Orcao yeah. is essentially a paramilitary group. And these were the people who shot, uh, destroyed uh, two, two places where indigenous Zapatistas keep coffee. Right there, that's at Moises Gandhi Ocos, Ocosingo. So they did that. So it's, it's not the only place, but it's happening in other places and the threats are ongoing. So Morena is the party of uh, this supposedly uh, leftist president, Andres Manuel López Obrador. So they've been acting uh, there as well, presenting this whole situation as a confrontation between indigenous communities. Yeah. And then the National Guard, La Guardia Nacional, uh, created by López Obrador, is involved in all this stuff. So... I think more than the, the specific events, one can yeah. summarize the, the specific events by saying there are multiple paramilitary forces in the area, and these forces have been unleashed recently 
and given a free hand to commit all kinds of crimes and they are displacing people in the region and there is a context for all this and the context is, which is what we, I think we should talk about, the context is there is a progressive, in quotes, president who ha whose main project is an extractivist, destructive project called the Maya train, which is not a train and is, is against the Mayan people. And uh, it, it, the, this is where we should go through the context and try and understand who would benefit from uh, this war that is being unleashed in Zapatista territory right now but throughout Chiapas, but with one piece of background that I think is important, which is uh, at the beginning of the López Obrador government, uh, the Zapatista, the left in Mexico, in quotes, the left in Mexico, including many people who formerly uh, apparently supported the Zapatistas, started attacking together with the government, attacking the Zapatistas. Uh, with all kinds of lies and manipulations. And mm -hmm. the response by the Zapatistas, Comandante Moises, in an anniversary of the Zapatista uprising, said, we will defend ourselves. And they promised mm -hmm. if they had to do it alone and on their own, they would do it. And then it was an angry uh, statement, and it was a very strong statement, and an announcement, basically, that they didn't care if it was left or right, it was time to defend themselves and their dignity and all, all they've achieved all these years, even if they had to do it alone. And then there was a period of silence. Every event they, were, they carried within Mexico and in the Chiapas territory, but beyond inviting people from all over the world, all these events were cancelled. All these activities were cancelled. And uh, there was silence. And then suddenly, the Zapatistas, about six months later, if I'm not wrong, announced that they, they had expanded their territory and their Caracoles, which is an autonomous government, uh, three to four times the size they had until then. In fact, they had surrounded army barracks in the area, and it was a statement to the Mexican government, to this government saying, we, we didn't stay still, we're, we're growing, we're multiplying, we're becoming stronger. And just to say, what is becoming stronger is one of the bravest, most beautiful and uh, strongest autonomous communities in the world whose statement uh, regarding the Mexi Mexican government is that they will not negotiate or have anything to do with a, 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 a mal gobierno, bad government. So this was what was going on in the past. And then Lopez Obrador announces that he's going to build the train, Tren Maya, the Maya train, regardless of whether the Zapatistas and their supporters want it or not. So this background is essential to say uh, up until now, all Mexican governments since the Zapatista uh -huh. uprising have been lying, uh, manipulating, buying out, uh, and trying to defeat the Zapatistas with all kinds of crimes, and they have fa uh, failed once and again. But so, this um, aggressive yeah. government wants to achieve that. So, John Gibbler, you're the author of, most recently, I guess, Torn from the World, A Guerrilla's Escape from a Secret Prison in Mexico. We actually talked about your previous book uh, on this podcast. I couldn't even imagine that they would kill us. This was uh, We talked about it when it was only out in Spanish. It was about the um, Ayotzinapa massacre. Uh, you've written To Die in Mexico, Dispatches from Inside the Drug War, Mexico Unconquered. A uh, couple of books in Spanish, 20 poemas para ser leídos en una balacera, and Son Paxle, La Fuga de un Guerrillero. Oh, that must be the same as Torn from the World, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, um, you know, I guess my first question for you is, like, y y what? how do we... 
how do we think about like the relationship between this left government, uh, uh, you know, of Lopez Obrador uh, and and the Zapatistas? Like, what's what are how are what are the debates and what are people thinking about this in uh, in Mexico? The first thing that comes to mind is um, the only way I could apply the term left to the <laughs> government would be is if you talked about them having left any proclaimed ideals that they uh, tried to uh, convince people that they held very far behind. Um, there's there's nothing left about it. Um, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we want to believe that, like, he was going to stand up to Trump and stuff, right? Because Trump was so abusive towards, like, Mexico's, you know, just like even the, like, the dignity of Mexico and you know, I, I go back to a, a, a something a, a, a professor told me in Zacatecas in 2008, I think it was, when um, I was interviewing him as an a, um, expert in migration and studying out-migration from the state of Zacatecas to the United States. And at the time, there was a PRD governor in the state of Zacatecas, and I was asking him if there's any kind of, you know, difference between the PRD administration, the pre-administrations. And he looked at me, you know, kind of amused with my naivete. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, look, you know, there's only one political party in Mexico and it's the pre. And then, yeah. you know, there's the pre with hepatitis, which is yeah. the PRD, right? And hepatitis because their color is yellow. Um, yeah. But he was like, it's right. basically it's the pre-contaminated, that's, that's his own word, uh, with like, yeah. you know, slightly ashamed ex-communists. Um, and, and I, and I've had that quote in my head for over a decade now. And that's, that's how I see the AMLO government. It's absolutely a priest, the government, um, it, right. a, an intensely nationalist, um, an intensely kind of development oriented government. Remember that word from the 1980s, um, where development right. is a code word for displacing that's populations right. and, you know, murdering people, uh, but but anyway, I th- I think concretely looking at what just happened in Chiapas, this you know incineration of a coffee cooperative's uh, storage house, um, should yeah. be considered in the context of the various tools of counterinsurgency um, and and state terrorism that the governments have used against the Zapatista communities. There is definitely um, a shift in tactics or a, a, a diversification diversification of tactics um, when the PAN took over in 2000 and again uh, during the highly, you know, intensely questioned administration of Felipe Calderón from 2006 to 2012. Yeah, I mean, sorry to interrupt, but just like that's another one. Like they, as far as I, it looked to me from here, like they cheated to make sure that AMLO didn't get in in 2006. And so I just thought like if he's worth cheating to keep out, you would think that he would have been worth <laughs> like done something worthy of that no, but that's, that's what's funny you know i remember i actually interviewed gilberto lopez y rivas in 2006 in chiapas in january about the you know at that point in time it was emla's candidacy which was you know far and away the front runner um yeah. in the early months of the, the 2006 campaigns and he told me he was like look if the political elite here were intelligent then they would let him win and by let mm-hmm. him I mean, he's going to win, right? He's going to win the popular vote, but they would allow him to. But I don't think they're that intelligent. I think they're too reactionary and, and, and stupid. Um, Because like, I think, I mean, I'm paraphrasing his words, but I basically think his argument was the intelligent political elite would let him win because he is their best candidate. Um, And that's what he's proven to be. And that's why as well, again, when he finally uh, was allowed to assume office, um, you know, I mean, there, obviously, there is a very far right faction in Mexico that is completely scandalized uh, by the fact that he's in office and you know is holding marches and all sorts of things. But but politically, substantively, what's been happening in the country is is effectively a pre neoliberal government. Um, right. But but going back, the you know, if Felipe Calderón tried to in his early months of a of you know launching a so-called drug war which was in in short basically an attempt to legitimize legitimize excuse me his presidency kind of copying bush who you know invaded other countries to try to create a perception of legitimacy for himself uh calderon decided yeah. to create his own 
Poor third world leaders can only invade their own countries. Right? Yeah, they don't have imperial (laughs) infrastructure, so they can't destroy other regions of the world. Which, by the way, like Bush Bush's war is still like ruining lives (laughs) across the world. Um, But uh, I remember that Calderon sent a military convoy into Zapatista territory to supposedly look for marijuana plantations. And it just completely backfired because the military convoy was met by men, women, and children with rocks and slingshots who said, no, you aren't allowed in our communities. Um, and not only that, but like you're, no one's going to believe you. It's ridiculous that we're growing marijuana because we don't even allow alcohol, right? We ban yeah, alcohol. Everybody, everybody, knows, everybody that. knows that the Zapatistas rip up your marijuana plants and... Yeah, it's just like they, they say, we don't want that in our communities. And so other communities do what they decide. But in our communities, we don't want that. It backfired. And I, you'll notice that like shortly after that, there was this intensification of attacks carried out by supposed indigenous groups and supposed coffee cooperatives. They're not even supposed to be actually were coffee cooperatives, but they had been uh, incorporated into paramilitary structures and carried out... Uh, consistent attacks in Zapatista communities for months and years. The communities were able to beat back those attacks with organization, with, with hardcore grassroots organization, um, and, and not falling into the provocation of trying to get the Zapatistas to respond with armed conflict, which they have not done. Um, and in, in, in this context, the fact that after it seems like months of having not seen the juntas de buen gobierno of the Zapatista communities, with the good government councils, the Zapatista communities, uh, denouncing these kinds of attacks. These attacks come in the context of AMLO, in the context of trying to push forth the Tren Maya, where the Zapatistas are some of the most vocal uh, opponents to that project. And also on the almost year anniversary of the Zapatistas announcing the creation of new autonomous communities, new caracoles and new municipalities, right? I mean, they a year ago, and this was huge, huge news, after years of, of relative silence, uh, the Zapatistas announced that they'd been doing hardcore grassroots organization, organizing, and had ex- vastly expanded their territory. Um, yeah. And this was, you know, August yeah. 2019. And so it's for me, it's not a coincidence that uh, as... COVID has completely just reorganized the political landscape and the media landscape. And as AMLO has continued to push forward on the development projects, you know, he's got his tree planting uh, project, which ironically, and in, in very Bush style, the tree planting project actually involves first deforesting to then <laughs> plant, right? To then plant like yeah. uh, palm, yeah. African palm and things like that. Um and and of course, you know the Zapatistas being core opponents to those to those projects. Um, I don't know if any of that kind of. So Tren Maya, tell us a bit about the Tren Maya. What is this mega project? It's a it's a huge uh, uh, rail system that they're mainly. I think it's it's mainly designed and oriented for international tourism, and it'll go through. The, the region of what's known as the Riviera Maya um, in, in the Yucatan Peninsula. And it's, so it's going to connect all sorts of resort areas um, and cities along that coastline um, and basically just create this like high tech, you know, top yeah, line. Apartheid. Nobody ever sees a real place where people actually live. You just go from airport to resort. On yeah. this train, probably. On this train, you know, I mean, and create all sorts of opportunities to uh, to build more infrastructure where it didn't exist, hotels and you know, yeah. restaurants and road stops and who knows what. But but basically, it's it's a it's an international tourism project, um, which would directly lead to all kinds of deforesting and then as well, you know, mass displacement, uh, you know, for. The building of the train itself, but then more than that, it's it's just intense land speculation uh, and and an attempt to redesign um, areas of the country that are precisely beautiful because they've been uh, protected and kept and cultivated by people who don't destroy the land they live on. 
you know, and yeah. so now it's a, it's a kind of attempt to take that away from them and market it and make it into an international commodity. So every so often, I mean, every, I, I from here, it's like every, yeah, I don't know, every few years, it's like uh, you hear, uh, you know, the Zapatistas kind of like raise the alarm on on a big paramilitary campaign in in their community. Um, what else, like what other, is there any other like national context um, to this? Like are there other things that, the government is doing in other parts of Mexico that this is like part of or a distraction from or something else? Well, I think it's very much the way in which the so-called drug war also just completely reorganized uh, Hmm. political paramilitary activity in states like Oaxaca and Guerrero. Um, The fusion of state forces, so-called narco forces and paramilitary military forces um, completely recast the map of resistance and, and opposition and oppression and effectively decimated and destroyed uh, organizations that had been thriving and strong when they were only confronting uh, you know, the state and or paramilitaries. But the, the infusion of the narco economy and the narco cultural structure of violence into the state paramilitary equation has been devastating in the south yeah. of the country, especially in, in Guerrero. Um, look at you know the community police or the Policia Comunitaria, which itself was a direct response to the Zapatista uprising in 1994. Indigenous communities in Guerrero decided to organize a community police force to try and protect mostly uh, the roadways because you know, people living in, in subsistence farming communities who would take product to market only, you know, once a season um, would get robbed on the, literally robbed on the yeah. highway. And then highway. Yeah. Highwaymen. And that, and that slowly evolved into, I mean, first a very effective way of, of, of stopping that, that uh, theft, but then it evolved into community, uh, a broader kind of community security system. And it started, especially when it started opposing the uh, mining concessions that the Calderon administration had granted in the state, that's when the paramilitary activity increased. And then that coincided with the so-called drug war. And that organization has just been just battered. Just to get to the, a little bit, maybe to the Latin American trends, uh, you know, of the kind of campaign against the Guardia Indigena in Cauca, right? Manuel, do you see a parallel there with Guerrero? Yeah, I do. There, there are many parallels. I, I wanted to actually mention something that, I mean, the way we are talking about this situation is not what people will hear about it. Uh, yeah. What is being constructed, and there's a parallel to and examples of this everywhere else, as you know, and as we know in Colombia and elsewhere, but in Mexico it's particularly well known, is this. There was a, I, I read a couple of things and listened to a couple of things that came out this week in Chiapas. One is a journalist or so-called journalist called Fernanda Familiar, Familial Fernanda. And she interviews people, and she interviewed a fellow called Oscar Valdez, a lawyer and apparently a constitutionalist, etc. So, uh, in essence, what what they do here between the two of them is present the image of the Zapatistas are these guerrilla members, and uh, these are this is a guerrilla force that has been tolerated in Mexico for 26 years, something like that. But here's the headline. It says, now uh, the government of Mexico is going to have to face a different EZLN, a different guerrilla that there was 26 years ago, because now they are together with the uh, drug cartel of Jalisco Nueva Generación. So here's the image that is being presented, and you know it's the same here in Colombia, and it's expressed everywhere else. What they're saying is the Zapatistas now 
are uh, coordinating themselves with the drug cartels. Now, this in Mexico is not unusual at all. I mean, uh, uh, Felipe Calderon, as John was, whom John was talking about just now, launched a war against the Mexican people and they covered it up as a war on drugs. Now, what is being done from the propaganda perspective in Chiapas actively right now, these last 10 days, uh, two weeks, is to present the, the drug, uh, a new drug cartel uh, that is, comes out of the coordination of Izetelen and the car uh, Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación. And they actually quote numbers saying, for example, that now there will be an army of 40,000 people who are prepared to confront the National Guard of Mexico that was created by Lopez Obrador. So the image, so what we'll see coming is a new war on drugs and the victim is the Mexican government. And this is, of course, a lie. But it is a lie that was exposed more than ever before during the, in several events, but the Ayotzinapa events exposed this stuff. So we're seeing the same, the same situation here. It's a strategy and it, it, it's a, a horrendous strategy. Right now here in Cauca, the liberators of Mother Earth, indigenous civilians unarmed, who are recovering ancestral lands from sugarcane monoculture plantations that do not produce food, they poison the land, and they mostly feed ethanol for corporations with a history and a track of human rights violations that is terrible. But basically now, the liberators of Mother Earth are being presented by the Colombian army, the Colombian government, and the sugarcane industry as being in cahoots with dissidents of FARC and different forces that are involved in drug trafficking. Well, that's that's incredible because before the so-called peace process, anything that anybody was doing in Colombia would be, uh, you know, smeared as having being being a front for FARC. And so you would think, okay, great. Now at least the peace process has happened. And that takes that pretext away from the establishment to be able to just claim that everybody is a front for the armed rebellion. And instead, it's just they just append the word dissidents in front and the same old campaign uh, applies. Yeah, but with one fact <laughs> that, that uh, is, is openly known but openly covered up as well. Here in Mexico, in Argentina, everywhere else. The real drug trafficking industry is directly linked to the highest places in government, to the highest places in the armed forces and police at all levels. And it is those who are being presented here as victims, the National Guard and the Mexican government. It is them who are directly linked to drug trafficking, but here we go, on both sides of the equation, by that I mean they do actively enact a war on drugs with assassinations and they discover uh, massive uh, loads of drugs that are being sent to the US, etc. And, and there are killings and stuff for this, and at the same time it is them who are directly involved in drug trafficking and drug trade, and they make tons of money and political gain by feeding the equation on both sides. So now, what they are, in, or one of the things they're intending to do, according to this stuff I'm reading, uh, that is being and uh, is coming out of Chiapas now, is the image of the Zapatistas becoming, uh, are linking themselves with one of the worst and largest uh, drug cartels in Mexico and the government of Mexico is a victim now. So this fits yeah. into the uh, Tren Maya project because they become legitimate targets for but, uh, that are, they're against a legitimate project and they're drug traffickers. So this kind of stuff, and as you said, 
in your question, what does it have to do with Latin America? Well, a question that a friend asked yesterday, and I'm asking openly everybody now and ourselves here, Mexico, Colombia, Guatemala, Chile, Bolivia, right now, if you look at different stories involving not only indigenous peoples, but mainly indigenous peoples and organizations, it's the same strategy with specificities for each country. And so it's the drug we'll, traffickers in power, in government, launching wars yeah. of drugs, and you don't know who's who, in order to launch fascist attacks against Mapuche people, a civil war in Bolivia, uh, the war in Colombia against everybody with massacres all over the country, and now the Zapatistas in Mexico. This is so what... I have I have two questions for John, and you know I, I guess we shouldn't go too late into the night. We're recording <laughs> late at night on Friday night, um, but John, one is like the like simple question is like, are people going to buy this? I mean, given the track record of the Zapatistas and their fairly extensive ability to communicate their message, uh, will they will it be something that they'll be able to? do to create a false impression of connection to a drug organization? And then the other question is also about like Mexico now under AMLO for a little while, like that kind of dystopian, you know, image of like people hanging, people being hanged from highway bridges and like all kinds of open violence and the breakdown of society that they like present Mexico as uh, under the drug war era like is is that has that to what extent is that real to what extent is that um exaggerated and to what extent is that like um changing or changed or headed in one direction or the other like what are the trends in that way Oof. Um, the first question, I think of a, a two-part answer in terms of will people buy it. I really think anyone who has paid attention to the Zapatista struggle um, would just, you know, be confused only about whether or not they should laugh or cry at yeah. a statement like the Zapatistas being, you know, collaborating with a with the so-called, you know, drug cartel. It's absolutely absurd, and those kinds of statements have been employed by the state from the day of the uprising. You know, early on, there was the whole thing about, you know, it's not really an indigenous uprising. It's led by professionals of violence. And, you know, that was the yeah. term they used, right? Profesionales de la violencia and stuff like that. And there's always been a racist undercurrent of saying indigenous people can't organize for themselves. They can't have political thought. They can't be intense political strategists, right? There has to be some kind of uh, nefarious undercurrent of uh, basically white evildoers, right? Um, and I think that uh, the early on discourses of trying to uh, say that, you know, ex-Central American combat operatives uh, were behind the Zapatista uprising to saying that now they're, you know, getting involved with this drug trafficking organization um, kind of continue maybe maybe they got it right this time <laughs> oh my God. they were they've been wrong every other time but right. maybe it, this theory is the well, right one it's just so absurd anyone who knows anything about this up it's 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 completely and patently absurd um i mean and, and in fact you know for many many years you know talking about the drug war and, and analysis and stuff like that i would often ask people can you name one uh territory in Mexico where there hasn't been a single narco execution. And it was kind of a trick question because it wasn't a state or a city or a territory defined in terms of, you know, state political terms, but it was the Zapatista territory. Like right. actually like the only place in the country where you didn't have that very image you referred to of the bodies hanging from bridges and, you know, theatrically, cruelly dismembered and so forth. Um, was in Zapatista territory. The Zapatistas were some of the best uh, uh, organizers against that kind of, 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 of economy and market and violence. Um, but, the, but, the, but in terms of people buying it, unfortunately, there is a very real and large sector of the population 
that either intensely believes everything that comes out of AMLO's mouth or just seriously wants to believe everything that comes out of his mouth. Um, mm-hmm. And so there is, there is that's something that this government has that I really think that prior governments, at least in the 20th century, didn't, which is legitimate popular support. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not legitimate popular support because of... Uh, a program or because of political uh, acts so much as discourse, like AMLO created himself as this kind of demigod figure of the left and has uh, an intensely and very real support base um, that can't be ignored. And that's what makes this kind of discourse particularly dangerous because there are people who will believe it without thinking you know, and without analyzing or without reasoning yeah. and so forth. It's a dangerous, it's a dangerous game for him though, because he could just squander, he could squander his support base on this. Like nobody, you know, it's like, uh, it's like they say about Castro, right? Like how many presidents came and went, like mm-hmm. everybody, everybody loves to test their political strength against the Zapatistas and it never, uh, never works out for them it doesn't work out for them and it's yeah it's a it's a wretched move as well as a stupid (laughs) move um and in terms of like the the reality of this kind of narco dystopia that's a very complex question and i mean unfortunately yeah maybe i'll have you back just to talk about that or something but the violence is very real and if you just look at numbers uh the numbers keep going up like the people being like murder um and an act of extreme violence um in mexico has gone up in the the amlo administration i think what what something that i think happened was that there was a a period of time say 2006 to 2012 13 which is the calderon administration when the language of violence was the public display of murdered bodies right that was the way in which uh different factions of the state and uh, narco organizations because they're entirely fused together. Um, That's the way they communicated both uh, amongst each other and as kind of forms of of terror towards the population. And I think in a a sense, and this is, I don't want to be oversimplifying, but when the Peña Nieto administration took over, so much of that language shifted from uh, theatrical displays of of murdered bodies to force disappearance, um, and mm. and it was a different language of terror. Um, the, yeah. the the language was that this all of a sudden people just didn't come home, um, or you saw people getting you know whisked into vehicles and they weren't seen again. And then of course that's the context, that's the time period in which the uh, the attacks against the students of Ayotzinapa took place, which by the way combined both forms, combined both kind of language acts of horror, right? Because there was the mass disappearance of the 43 students and amongst the six people murdered that night, one of the students uh, was mutilated, right? Um, And his mutilated body left on the side of a trash dump. Um, And then I think what's happened with uh, that language in these early years of the AMLO administration is just that it just continues to expand, um, and so there have been like, I don't know if people saw, but with, again, I think with the COVID uh, pandemic, a lot of this news isn't, isn't as impactful as it might otherwise have been. But in the region of Guanajuato, Guanajuato became a couple of months ago, kind of the ground zero of just mass forms of violence and, uh, you know, gun battles in the streets and massacres and, and um, you know, all the horrible things you read about like how does it what's the feeling is the feeling like kind of general social collapse is that the is that the vibe like are people like are people scared to go outside or is it like the feeling is so weird i have no i don't know what the hell is going on um because it's you know it's this mixture of the continued escalation of violence like the everyday life going on there's the supposed uh you know very new and different administration, but then the pandemic has completely shifted everything. Um, uh, And it's all 
combined and overlapping. And then I don't know if you saw, for example, there was right very soon after George Floyd murder and the uprisings in the United States, um, uh, a young man was murdered by police officers in Jalisco state. Um, and there was a protest right after that. Um, and there's a supposed, you know, opposition governor in Jalisco, who's from the Convergencia party, at least initially was, and he's both supposedly against the PRI, but also against AMLO. And he's kind of trying to position himself, I think, in relation to AMLO as a kind of left opposition of some sort. Uh, the left really is meaningless here. But anyway, on the second day of supposed protests, and uh, it, just by coincidence, I was in Guadalajara that day, um, and, and on my way to the protests, and people started texting saying, don't show up, turn back, they're pulling people off buses, they're pulling people out of cars, they're disappearing everybody. And, yeah. and in real time, people were taking videos of what was happening. It was this intense confluence of all these prior strategies of repression. So you had riot cops beating the crap out of anybody who showed up. You had men not in uniform, but in full combat gear with, you know, bulletproof vests and assault rifles and some of them with their faces covered and some not literally stopping city buses, pulling people off and driving off with them in pickup trucks, pulling people off the streets. There are also men with axe handles, looks like recently purchased at Home Depot or something in mass, um, just beating anybody who say, you know, looked like a protester, <laughs> you know, um, and it backfired. Uh, it became right. a huge scandal, very well, huge, very briefly, but still, it's like oh, it's such a weird, all tests, weird right? environment. Yeah. Like you really don't know. It seems like there's all sorts of assumptions you used to be able to make. Like you could go to a protest and know that you're going to get shot at with tear gas, and if the cops right. grab you, they're going to beat the crap out of you. Um, and now that's you know, <laughs> that's not. Yeah, will you even get there? there yeah, yeah, you can literally be pulled off your bus, pulled out of your car. Wow. Yeah, I mean, maybe to, to comment on, on something that we experienced in Mexico and that is a feeling here, and we've talked about this before, and it's, it's also knowing who's who, who's attacking you. Yeah, right. They belong. But, I, but I wanted to mention in that context a few points very briefly. One is the, the connection between AMLO and drug trafficking, drug trade, and all this stuff. He uh, he is linked to this. His party, his current party, Morena, is linked to this, and his previous party, PRD, was directly linked. I mean, Ayotzinapa is one of the examples. Uh, so that's one issue. I mean, there's nobody seems to be questioning sufficiently the fact that this guy has links to drug trafficking. His government and the Mexican state has, and that, that isn't changing, but. It doesn't seem to matter to those who want to believe him and believe that he's changing stuff. The other thing is one of his main interests has been from way before he became president is to attack and destroy Zapatism, discredit, destroy Zapatism. And one of the uh, examples that he's doing this is that he appointed as Minister of the Environment Victor Toledo a guy who has been openly against the Zapatistas and who actually wrote an editorial before he became a minister uh, stating that the Zapatistas were backward and their ideas had disappeared and AMLO was replacing them. AMLO was the real left. Then he, the other issue is that he, the, the script was written way before AMLO was elected president. I mean, there was a movie... Uh, the uh, Dictadura Perfecta, the perfect dictatorship. I can't remember the name of the director. But in that, in that movie, which we watched in Mexico, we were frightened because we, we knew two years before that the system, the Mexican state, was going to elect López Obrador and re-legitimate the system, the social order the pre, what, what uh, John has said. So this was in the plans. I did with, with, with the uh, pan pre uh, governments and the war on drugs and Peña Nieto, etc. The entire establishment was 
and Ayotzinapa, the entire establishment was falling apart. Now there was a way out, and the way out is Lopez Obrador. And he, this was announced, and it's being done now. The other thing is the, the mega projects, the extractive industries, the alliance with the, the corporations, the alliance with the worst. The real cartels in Mexico are not the drug cartels. Are the, it's the big money, big business, and they're awful. And he's allied with them openly. He's hiding nothing at all. And so, so, and now the Zapatistas. There's a there's a tragedy in in Mexican history, not just in Mexican history, but particularly there. The Mexican Revolution was an uprising, mostly from the south of Mexico, by Zapata, and Zapata was a native guy, an Indian, and it was an Indian uprising. And what are Indian uprisings for? For the land. And that was what it was about. But it was Madero, Francisco Madero, a liberal and a traitor, who actually became the figure and became the president of and from the revolution. And the first thing he does when he becomes an elected president of Mexico through the revolution and the bloodshed of people and the struggle of those like Zapata and his followers that fought for the land, what he did was... He invited the landowners, the ambassadors of Spain, of France, of uh, the, the U.S., and he promises them all together that not one centimeter of land will be delivered to the Indians, and that, that, that promise was not to be kept, which led to an ongoing war and eventually to the death of Zapata. So there was a treason. So these... There is nothing strange in Mexican history about López Obrador. There are people like him, but him now, that can speak a leftist language that people choose to believe and follow and that are actually traitors who are following the interests of the worst in Mexican history. That's why, in spite of the revolution in Mexico, not unlike Colombia, but in Mexico, you could have the same few oligarchs stay in power in spite and with the revolution. Much of what is going on right now. Everything changes, nothing is changing. And that is López Obrador. And that's why he's acting once again against Zapata. Wow. Well, that's a good note to end on do you guys john do you want to add anything or should we wrap it up no i think that was great thanks very much just an excellent note okay.